your journey is equally as valid as somebody else's. You are the expert of your own life. And like from that orientation, like even on our blog, for example, like we never highlight someone as having made it because in a top knot world, no one's made it. Everybody's just on their journey. Some people have been like at their journey for longer. Some people may have accomplished what they said they they went out to do, but it's not like so-and-so is the CMO of blah, blah, because like that is positioning that person in a way that like is inconsistent with the, the ways we think about growth and individuals. You're listening to Art of the App. I'm your host, Michelle Cherian. Each episode, you'll get creative inspiration from mission-driven startup founders, investors, and other experts disrupting the status quo. Hear about the thought processes and values that help guide them from early ideas to the standout products and brands that people love. Looking to learn from others creating a massive impact in the world? Welcome to Art of the App. Welcome, everyone. In today's episode, I talk to Claire Sheral. Claire is the co-founder and CEO of TopKnot, a coaching system for women to live their most fulfilled lives. Prior to starting TopKnot, Claire was an award-winning educator and VC investor. She is best known for her work spearheading computer science education in Oakland, California's public schools. Claire graduated from Rice University, where she competed for the OWLs in cross-country and track. Claire and I talk about all things coaching. We geek out on the concept of learning how to learn, basically gaining the skills necessary to be able to look at something and make sense of it for yourself, and how coaching gives you these skills for your own self-awareness, how Top Knot is making Coachable accessible to everyone, and I literally mean everyone. It's as little as $1 a month at the lowest price point, and how they're safely training and guiding people to be peer coaches that can participate in groups with each other and why they decided to make Top Knot a sliding scale so that it is accessible to everyone. If you enjoy the podcast, please scroll up and subscribe. That's the number one way that we can grow and reach more people. All right, let's dive in. Claire, I wanted to start out with where you got the name for your product, Top Knot. My co-founder, Brooke, and I took a weekend trip to Seattle. She had been there anyway, but I flew up from San Francisco. And we had been talking about doing something for a really long time. And we had been using a code name, which was just bracket unnamed. So all of our documents had this like bracket unnamed. (laughs) And we decided to go out at the end of work and like grab a happy hour drink. And I was like, let's play a fun game. Like, let's actually come up with a nickname. And I think I maybe said one or two words beforehand. I don't remember them at all. And Brooke was playing with a hair thing on her wrist. And I don't know, it just like came to me. And I was, (laughs) so I said, top knot, like with the swiftness, she was like, that's the name. Like, that's not the code name. That's not the, (laughs) like, that is it. And her decisiveness to me is like one of the most like alluring and just most awesome things about Brooke. But like, I literally was just trying to come up with something that we could put instead of bracket unnamed in all of our documents. And it stuck immediately. When you were coming up with this, were the documents for this product or for just like any, like all these ideas that you guys were coming up with for possible businesses? For this, which also made Top Knot even more poetic. So for like various reasons, Top Knot has like a soft rhyme scheme, sort of like Dropbox or PayPal. Like there's a lot of memorability things. When we actually picked the name and we started uncovering some things. So first of all, there's like this connotation of like, when you're doing work and you, you're getting your hair out of your face, right? And like, just sort of this like messiness that we wanted to embrace. But also, and I learned this from writers. So TK is what authors use when they're like working on like papers or whatever. 
in areas that they want to come back to. And the reason that they do TK instead of TC to come is that TK is a super uncommon letter combination in the English alphabet. So when you do a find, it shows up immediately. Amongst the writer community, TK is like the point in which you come back and work on. And like Top Knot is all about working on yourself and this journey. And like, actually, sometimes just like putting a flag in something and like walking away from it, knowing that you will come back to it at the moment that makes the most sense. So it was even more poetic than than we initially expected. (laughs) I didn't know that about the TK. That's cool. Yeah. Shout out to my writer friends who told me that. But it makes so much sense. So what in your life personally kind of like led you to want to go down this path and create Top Knot? So I think it started when I became a teacher. So I did a program called Teach for America. And I honestly joined Teach for America sort of out of a domestic service lens. Like I didn't I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher as much as I knew I wanted to give back. I actually think that's really faulty logic in retrospect, but I, I hadn't considered teaching as a profession like all through growing up or college. And when I got to the classroom, I absolutely fell in love with it. It was the hardest most dynamic, most challenging, and most beautiful work I'd ever done. And Teach for America is typically a two-year commitment, and I ended up staying in the classroom full-time for six years. Why do you think it's faulty logic, just before we lose that? So the reason that I applied to Teach for America was, it was immediately after a Obama rally in 2008. I went and he was talking about domestic service, and I was sort of lifted up by, by that mentality. But I think the volunteerism aspect or just like the service aspect doesn't give enough credence to the craft that is teaching. Like teaching is the most powerful work. It is by far the most beautiful work I've ever done. And I've actually now been in the classroom in some capacity for 11 years. And my soul and teaching are tied up in one another. (laughs) So when I say it was faulty logic, I think I think I got into it for reasons that I was able to understand at the time, but in retrospect, should have been different. Yeah, so I was a full-time classroom teacher and then ended up leading the district initiative around computer science. So I worked in Oakland Unified and led computer science education for all public schools in Oakland. That work was super interesting because at that point then, I was still teaching one class, but I was primarily working with educators who were learning computer science just enough to be able to teach it to their students. And instead of trying to give them just like all the content, right, teach them computer science in full, the mindset was more like, how do we actually get you to embrace being a lead learner in front of your class, right? How do we get you to say like, I actually don't know, like, let's figure this out together, which is a very different posture for most educators. And and many of them had been in their career for 10, 15, 20 years. So this was really asking of them something different than the way that they had been positioned to their student as an expert their whole life, or at least their whole teaching life. And this is sort of a constructivist approach anyway. Like this is how I I had been working in my classroom because I always felt relatively safe in saying like, whatever results you come up with, what if they are right? What if right isn't actually a thing, right? <laughs> and, and we can go down that philosophical path, but I would say if I had a superpower, it's helping people learn to learn and what that means for them. Top Knot's just a continuation of that work. It is learning to learn, like in order to uplift answers within. It is this idea that no one's going to hand you the answer key. And even if they did, it's not particularly useful to you because you didn't derive it, right? It's not your truth. It's not your experience. 
And also I would say this, like I was supporting primarily young black and brown women to enter computer science. And so I've always had this angle or lens around supporting women to be and do things in spaces that haven't historically welcomed them. It's sort of like the most obvious fit in the world. And also like the coaching lens is really interesting because I think for a long time I had considered myself a mentor for these young people, for these teachers. And only when I made the shift to thinking about it as like, not me actually giving you advice or sharing my expertise necessarily, but creating the conditions to uplift your own was like when the magic of top knot like really made sense in my head. And when you say like learning how to learn, can you dig into that? Like, what does that mean to you? So learning how to learn, I think maybe at its core is like a shift away from a preeminence on content. So often when people think about teaching, they think about the expertise being the subject area. So I initially taught biology and then I added on calculus and then I was teaching computer science as well. So I was kind of like a one woman nerd show. And like, yes, I know an incredible amount about biology. I know calculus really well and I know computer science, but those things actually fundamentally don't matter. I think so much to students, I care that they know it. And I care that they are able to be given materials and then create their own meaning out of it. At sort of the classroom level, this is what are the skills necessary to be able to like look at something and make sense of it? So does that mean like we learn how to analyze figures? We learn like actual reading strategies. The content will come, but it's more like what actually allows me to access this information, make sense of it and use it authentically. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like how you problem solve, like how you approach it where, you know, okay, I see this thing that I need to create or make or change or solve in some way. What are the tools that I'm going to immediately draw on to get me to the next step and then try to figure out the next set of tools that I need to get me to the next step? In a world where Google is at everyone's fingertips, I just don't think content matters as much anymore which I realize is a hot take, (laughs) but, you know, I say this to people in the personal development realm a lot. If someone else's story or advice or path fundamentally changes your path, then we should just record a million Ted talks and have everybody sit down. And then like their things will be solved. You need to like learn how to understand content and situations yourself and how you want to navigate them and what it means for you to have truly embodied whatever you, whatever you want to say that you've learned. Right. But the content, I guess, is the the storytelling or the way that you actually draw someone in and get them to engage. And, you know, I was teaching AP of all of this stuff. So like people fundamentally had to know the terms and they had to be able to make sense of patterns, et cetera. But I do think in a world where the information is overload, making sense of the information is the more worthy task. Yeah, it's, it's figuring out what content is really right for you and being able to like cut out all the reps, really, because yeah, we're otherwise we're just going to be on information overload all the time trying to consume. And I think we've all been there. You're like, oh my gosh, the, my iBooks or my Kindle is stacked up with 10 books that I haven't read yet. And I have the same number of tabs open on things that I should be reading right now. <laughs> yeah, all the things. Tab hell is real. Yeah, but even even the cognitive load of picking what is worthy of your attention, that's a skill. There's whole apps for that <laughs> and like programs for how to organize your information. Also, I really just love this pedagogy talk. Like I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really get to nerd out on learning design, but 
top knot helps you learn how to learn or that's how you got into it. And then there is this peer coaching and goal setting component of it. Let's dive into the peer coaching part of it. In theory, it sounds awesome. Coaching is such a huge industry right now, right? It's like so many people are going into coaching. I think it's like a going to be a $20 billion industry, right? And there's all these coaches, but this is essentially like for people who have not had any experience coaching, right? I would position it more as this is for people who want to hold that space and learn those skills. So taking a step back, we wanted to create a personal development platform because like this inner work is really important. And coaching is an incredible conduit in figuring out what you want, why you want it, and how to go after it. We knew the power of coaching was there, but it's really prohibitively expensive. So the average life coach is about $200 an hour, and the average executive coach is closer to $500. The people who have already ostensibly made it are the ones who have the most access. So we wanted to think about ways to bring coaching all the way downstream. So top knot costs as little as a dollar a month. But we still wanted to be able to give that power. And the way that we could do that is by putting it in the hands of our users, right? And saying, actually, you know what? With structures in place, with guidance, with some education around like what are the skills that you use, you can actually recreate many of the best nuggets of coaching without the need for a facilitator. When we think about peer coaching, it happens in a space that is non-judgmental and learning focused and everyone is functionally working on themselves, but there's this reciprocal relationship. And how do you prep them to know how to hold that space? Because it is a skill one, because usually those people who are coaches are very much there to hold space for the other person, not necessarily to be seen themselves. And in this case, it's more of like a mastermind where you're kind of, there's reciprocal relationship. Yeah. The reciprocality is such that like at sometimes you are being coached and other times you're holding the role of a peer coach. So there is that delineation and, and that context switching matters, right? And you have to support people to make that shift. But the way that we train people is over seven sessions. So it's a foundational group. There are three skills that we hone in on. So one is deep listening. The second is authentic acknowledgement. And the third is powerful questions. And we scaffold people's understanding of all three of those skills over time. At the end of that seven sessions, that then unleashes you to do sort of more of these like drop-in peer coaching, more advanced peer coaching, things that are not quite so oriented towards making sure that you have the skills. As top knot, we need to know that one, you're safe. And two, that like these conversations are productive and that the space that's being held is how it's intended. And so we're doing more and more, like we have videos to teach the skills. We have things that you should hear and feel like sentence stems, like all of these things that are supportive of getting people there. And that library of, of instructive content and instructive experiences will only grow in, over time. But we are really cognizant of the fact that this is something new and that you're going to need significant practice. I think on the other side, though, is an expectation setting. So like, we are not trying to replace coaches. We are trying to bring the power of coaching to more people. The sort of side effect of that is that if you and I now have these peer coaching skills, that will reverberate in our community and our like leadership in how we show up for our family, et cetera, because like deep listening, authentic acknowledgement. They're just good skills to use in your home, to use with your family, with your partner, all of it. 
Exactly. Right. Right now in the coaching world, there is a lot of conversation around this, you know, place where trauma comes up. Right. And then there's like, there's a break between, I guess, like coaches and then there's like trauma informed coaches. I think in coaching, a lot of people would say, okay, whenever, you know, maybe that person has like trauma come up, you should refer them to someone who is actually trained in trauma informed coaching. So how do you even start to approach that within a space where you're not actually, well, I don't know, during these calls with people and like, maybe they're watching videos, like how do they learn about this, know about this, know when to kind of like, okay, you might be really helped by seeing someone. This has been raised. So like you're, you're right to raise the question. So we have a code of conduct and conduct is, is separate from the trauma informed, but just, just so that there's like expectations on how the space is used. And we say point blank, there are things that are beyond the capacity of this group to be able to hold and process. And so like we are naming that and here are resources in order to support you. And we also make people acknowledge that they're not in crisis before they start. And then we also tell the peer coaches, like, there are things you are not trained to do. You are absolutely not trained to to do this. And so part of being in this space is owning the fact that like you can be comforting and you can say, this is not something that I have experience to handle or deal with. And yeah, so it is, this is why these foundational groups are important in the sense of like training people up, not only in the skills, but also in this ethics of like how these groups operate. I think also the way that we position top knot, things can slip from like forward planning to existential pretty quickly, but like we are not therapy. We are not at all. And while the effects of being in a vulnerable community might be therapeutic, we are really about looking forward. And not trying to delve into the past and uncover the the hurt and the trauma. I think also we are intentional about creating spaces based on the affinities that people say need to be true for them. And so we will match people based on age, race, gender identity. If that is, they get to self-identify the level of importance that they have in, in those various areas. And so we are trying to create the structures for safety. There, there are certainly things that... that we're not designed to deal with. And I think naming those things and telling people that they might come up and it's important, but like this isn't the space is the the best case scenario for us. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you said about just people being able to know their capacity, even in that and knowing that is, it has also has reverberations for at home or in any other context of being like, uh, maybe I shouldn't give you feedback on this right now, or, you know, Yeah. And it's also important to know. So the content and curriculum is designed by certified coaches on our team. And so the intentionality with every piece is there. And we are creating spaces that are supportive of looking forward. It's real humans, right? Yeah, exactly. And every goal is tied to something, right? Something larger in your life. Right. So with the goal setting, you have, I checked it out. It's, it's very, it's a very non-linear way of setting goals. Like instead of like a tracker or, you know, anything else that where you have, you know, the completion date or you, you know, you have like the little circle that ends up filling up in this case. And we, you know, I think as humans, we like that completion in a way, you know, you use the plant, right? Of like watering the plant or tending to your plant is tending to your goal. How has that worked out for you? Like in terms of 
people feeling a sense of reward from that? Well, I think it's still early days. And I will also say that probably one of our like greater internal debates is like around the usage of the word goal, because goal is like a weighted term (laughs) that people have connotations with. And, you know, like I might have a goal time for the half marathon and like that will have a very clear plan that comes with it. And I will either have made it or I haven't. Whereas like, I think actually what most people and myself included are using top knot for most authentically are sort of these growth areas, dealing with rejection, understanding like who I am in relationship to my work, living my life in alignment with my values. To your point, like, I mean, we say that they're like messy and evolving. They might not be delineated in the same way as like, I'm going to wake up every morning (laughs) and do 30 minutes of a bar routine or something, but they they are deeply held and they matter to the person immensely. And there, there just aren't a lot of spaces that allow you to sort of grapple with something that's that big and that unknown. So the goals are more like areas of personal work that you're doing, tending to. That has been what we've seen. And certainly the conversations in peer groups often are centered on like confidence or understanding the next step or whether or not people want to have kids or really, really deeply held. I think the way that Top Knot exists today, there would be like equally good accountability tools for me to use for my half marathon training. So do you feel like with Top Knot that someone really does need to be part of the peer coaching to really get benefit out of it? We call what we're building a coaching system. The system has this individual reflection component and this peer group, which for me, the peer group is around processing accountability to continue moving forward because you're meeting with these people every week um, or every two weeks, depending on your preference. But yeah, I don't think that two-legged stools are a thing. But <laughs> um, doing the independent work alone gets you gets you to a point. Doing the peer work alone, I would say, means that you you get processing, but you're not making sense of it yourself in the interim doing both together is by far the most powerful. The individual work gives you, I guess, time to reflect on the stuff that you've had conversations on. Or just like we have people that set intentions and Mm -hmm. like sometimes those intentions um, are things you can report back to your group, but sometimes they're actually just like sit and, and think about something. The most important thing with Top Knot is Whereas like many apps, like the paradigm is we're trying to get you to do all of these things like here on the platform. Like for us, fundamentally, we are trying to get you to do things in your life, right? So we are the support system for you to go out and see changes with your people, et cetera, which is kind of why these peer groups, for example, it's great that these people are not part of your everyday life because like you don't need shared contacts. They don't need to know your boss. Like you don't need to have this hard conversation and then go out and grab dinner. These people are there specifically for your learning. And when I look five, 10 years ahead and I like one of the things that I think I could be most proud of for Top Knot would be redefining how people think about relationships. Because so often we overload like close people with a range of things that like they actually might not be the the most capable of handling, or it might not actually be the right person for that. I think this COVID has been great for me in that way. I've met so many people online 
that are, I guess are like, they're in that specific area of my life that I really value that connection with instead of necessarily only going to like my best friends or real life friends, the ones that I would actually see, meet in person, you know, they're really good friends, actually, these new people. But yeah, we have a different context for talking to each other. For sure. And I think if every person and specifically if every woman had a group that was there specifically for their learning, we just don't have a lot of like purely learning oriented spaces, particularly non-hierarchical, purely learning oriented spaces. Like most people don't have that. And it's really powerful when you do. Would you ever consider having, like you just mentioned the non-hierarchical, would you ever consider having like a cohort that is led by someone? Because sometimes I have found that like a mastermind with a facilitator, right? You just like, because when everyone's working on, like they're all like at the same level, it it can be nice. You're all like, it's like a peer mastermind, right? You're coming together. But like when someone is leading it, there's a whole different trajectory. For sure. I am definitely a person who's not like a, I'm a never say never person, right? Like, but I will say that those groups exist. Like there are a lot of facilitated groups out there. Brooke and I, we actually met through, she was the lead like facilitator. She like trained facilitators for this educational program that I was part of. And I facilitated these groups. And so, you know, that was like a train the trainer model. The two of us have facilitated so many things in our life. Like, and if you think about classroom teaching on top of that, and so that we're bought in on that model. That model is super powerful. That model also leads to a much higher cost. So yeah, I mean, like, I think that there's definitely a world in which that's an option on top not, but like, there are a lot of really great places that are doing that work. You just can't fundamentally offer something for a dollar a month. If you, (laughs) I mean, so our full cost is, is 20 but we try to take into account current and historical financial privilege in determining what costs people pay. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I did see that on your pricing page that you have a sliding scale. So how did you come up with that? Like, What was that decision-making process like? We had this intention to be radically accessible. This might be a vestige of us growing up in COVID, right? Like, It was just a really hard time And we fundamentally didn't want to preclude anyone from participating. And at the same time, there's some like interesting behavioral psych out there that says paying something and with dignity means that you are like more tied to it, right? I completely believe in that. (laughs) The intersection of radical accessibility and making sure that people are putting skin in the game such that like this matters to them and, and they continue to show up means that there's not a singular price point right? Like those two things can't exist because dignifying for one person is not the same as another. We have five questions on our website that help you mold your understanding of what, of what you should pay. I mean, regardless at full price, we're still, you know, 10% of the average. I think having participated in, in a group myself, right? Like certainly not 10% of the value. I do want to drive home the fact having an actual coach that is a thing. It is wonderful. I have an amazing one. I sing her praises. She has been life-changing. And I have taught in the public school system in Oakland, California for 11 years. And none of the young people who I've taught can afford a $450 an hour coach. And so there has to be something that meets people where they are. I really hope that we are a gateway to people understanding 
the the sort of opportunities that exist out there for people at the top, right? Like it should not just be relegated to the elite. Yeah. I mean, I've had so much value from coaching. It's prohibitively expensive for sure for the average person. <laughs> and then you, when you go through it, you're like, oh, I wish everyone could have this. Yeah. So have you kind of looked at, I guess, with the sliding scale, like how is that actually working for you against like whether if you would have made it like a fixed price point? It's a little bit hard to do those analytics. This is one one of the things, you know, I'm like in and out of spreadsheets a lot being CEO of an early stage startup. And sometimes I wish for modeling purposes, I would be able to see. I can tell you anecdotally and sort of on individual case by case, there are certain people who are using the solidarity pricing who have reached out to say, this has been incredibly catalytic. And because we have efficiencies in our system, right? Like fundamentally, when you sign up, once we we currently hand match, but once you are matched into your group based off of these affinities and timing and the group that makes the most sense, right? <laughs> for you, based on what you've said, then the process runs without intervention. And so as of right now, this is a, a cost-effective way. I also think, you know, a million people paying $1 is still a million dollars, right? And like... <laughs> I I think that this is the sort of thing that could proliferate and just be part of the cultural zeitgeist. Like everybody has support in really not just going after what they want. Like, I think a lot of people go straight to that mentality. Like I have a goal, like I want help getting it. Like where we actually, I think, provide more value right now is helping you get clear on what you actually want in the first place. That's a huge thing. I mean, like understanding your actual desire I was just on another podcast yesterday where we were talking about this. It's like understanding your desire versus a desire that you see out there that you start to take on as yours might not be yours. Right. It's revelatory. I am excited for the day where I can forecast a little bit better. Yeah. It'll be interesting to know how this kind of pricing model actually performs because there is other cases where in apps, people have asked for a tip, right? Instead of having it be an exact amount. And so then it allows the person who's giving the tip to decide what they want to give. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in that case will give more than what the, you know, app developer would have asked for. Yeah. So there are alternative pricing models. It'll be interesting to see when you are able to have enough data to actually like test it against something that, you know, if I, if I would have charged, you know, whether it's like $7.99 or $37.99, whatever it is, you know, that you would have charged or $99, who knows to see it. Yeah. I think, you know, overall, we're not feeling constrained by business as it's always been done. And we have like very clear company pillars and super clear product pillars. And there's just, there isn't another system I think that would have worked and honored everything that we said we wanted to honor. Shout out to to doing the thinking beforehand around what you actually want to be true for the company, as opposed to building something beforehand or (laughs) just kind of like making these decisions ad hoc, like at, at every stage we have the capacity to slow down and say, okay, well, we, we made these like fundamental promises to ourselves. How does this decision fit within that framework? And what are your product pillars? So our company pillars are equity, intentionality, and growth. And our product pillars are honoring expertise, autonomy, routine, time, being, oh my God, learning. <laughs> <laughs> but basically like, 
the TLDR on that is seeing everyone as fundamentally whole. We are not trying to fix anything. Your journey is equally as valid as somebody else's. You are the expert of your own life. And like from that orientation, like even on our blog, for example, like we never highlight someone as having made it because in a top knot world, no one's made it. Everybody's just on their journey. Some people have been like at their journey for longer. Some people may have accomplished what they said they they went out to do, but it's not like so-and-so is the CMO of bubble because like that is positioning that person in a way that like is inconsistent with the, the ways we think about growth and individuals. And success. And failure, to be honest. The loaded word, I guess, of like success is just in the sense of like, what is successful for you, right? And that in society might have like a certain term of success, but your approach to not holding, you know, any one thing as successful is, is a part of your pillar. Oh, it's core, right? And that, that pervades every decision that we make. Autonomy and expertise and honoring how you want to do, like there's no prescriptive path through what we're doing. Just choice and ensuring the fact that everyone gets what they need and that we don't tell them. Now, we have like a a sense of guided autonomy, right? We don't want you to be lost, (laughs) but the answers are your own. We don't for you. That's a primary tenant of coaching, right? Like lead them to find their own answers. Yes. See, we're consistent. (laughs) (laughs) I want to switch to the questions I ask everyone. Who or what are you learning from right now? Oof, I am learning. Let's see. There's a runner who I, so I competed in track and cross country when I was in college. And there's a runner who's actually like kind of a doppelganger for me. She's another Greek American. And I'm currently reading her book called Bravey. It is, it's an excellent read. She's a runner and like a filmmaker and a bunch of other things. What's her name? Alexi Pappas. She's incredible. But I'm learning a lot about kind of unlearning from reading her book. And that's the first one that comes. But I also, I'm like a voracious consumer of (laughs) like long form journalism, podcasts. I actually probably need to get better at turning everything off and not being always obsessed with consuming more. And yeah. Back to the beginning of what we were talking about. (laughs) (laughs) What habit or routine have you started in the last year that's really improved your life? You know what? It's probably delineating time with my business partner, Brooke, to be just about human connection and like naming that that's what we're doing and like setting aside time so that it's like not dipping in and out of work. More just like naming the intention of what a conversation is. And sometimes that intention not being about progress. It, it makes me think of like being more time effective too. And just not like going in and out of like a work and then a personal and a work and a personal or something like that. Yeah. Well, and I'll also say, I mean, this is for our whole team, but we actually have a practice where we like state the intention of like what we're about to say. like. I'm processing right now, or like I am sharing a decision and I'm just sharing it with you. Or like, I am looking for blank. And like, I have incorporated a lot of those practices into just conversations I'm having casually or outside of the context of our team, because I sometimes think it's helpful to, to set the stage. Very, very helpful. Yeah. What advice would you give a young person entering their career? Optimize for learning. <laughs> So this is funny that you're asking me. I have like 1,500 young people 
<laughs> who come to me for this sort of thing. I think seeking out opportunities to learn the things that you feel are most important to learn. And then I think the the corollary is that nothing is permanent, <laughs> the good and the bad that comes with that. But for the most part, I see my young people who are in their early to mid twenties. So I've taught seniors for the last 11 years. So like my oldest students are are turning 30 this year, which I, I've always taught seniors in high school. They run the whole gamut from, you know, 17 this year, all the way up to, to 29, I guess is the, are the oldest ones right now. But yeah, I see them put so much pressure on themselves to like really have it figured out. Even in my own life, I, I've been a classroom teacher. I've been a district administrator. I've been a venture capitalist. I've been a founder. I am sure that there are going to be more iterations of Claire on the horizon. And I just, it is the most reasonable thing ever to not know what the whole future like is going to hold for you at 23. Like so reasonable. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We're going to be so many different people throughout our lives. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Claire. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art of the App. If you like the episode, please share it with a friend and consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more people just like you find the show. You can connect with me on my website at michellecherrying.com or Instagram. The link for both is in the show notes. See you next week.